The Black Room, your fortnightly podcast where our journalists and editors unpack the stories and issues from the latest edition of the Koori Mail newspaper. Deadly. Jingiwala, welcome to the seventh episode of The Black Room. Coming to you from the beautiful lands of the Bundjalung here in the Northern Rivers region in New South Wales. My name is Kirk Page. I'll be your host. I'm a proud Mulanjali man of the Yugambeh Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the Bundjalung elders, past and present, and the ancestors who are no longer here, and to acknowledge our First Nations mob who are listening from across the country. On this week's Black Room, we'll speak with some of the incredibly talented journos bringing you this edition, 762 of the Koori Mail newspaper. We will speak with senior journalist Darren Coyne about what he's been reporting on in this edition. And we speak with Regina Morin, who's been campaigning for justice and equality for the families who are dealing with the grief and to bring awareness and empowerment to those who have lost family to deaths in custody. And we speak with dancer, choreographer and Yaru woman, Dahlia Pigram, who's celebrating 25 years of dance and performance and creation with the incredible physical theatre company, Marageku. And we speak with our sports doctor, Darren Moncree, who's dialing in from the green pastures of the Northern Rivers region to talk about some of the articles he's written in this edition about inclusion and equality when it comes to our women in sport. The Curry Mail. Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. With me now, I have senior journalist Darren Coyne. Darren, how are you going? Oh, very well, Kirk. How are you doing? Great. Welcome back to our seventh edition of The Black Room. Some great stuff in the paper in this edition, and there's some stories about deaths in custody. You spoke with Regina Morin, and she has a great story, and she has a wonderful campaign that she's developed with her family. Now, we have Regina on the line. Thank you for sharing your story with the Koori Mail. It's a really great campaign that you've developed that has a family focus as well. And so it's really great to have you here. Yeah, thank little, you. Could you share with us a little bit about how that campaign has come about? Yeah, well, well, as you know, my children's grandfather was um, Sam Watson. He was a prominent Aboriginal um, activist and social um, activist as well. And, and um, he actually was in a part of the um, Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, he sat there and and um, for about 10 years and worked on that with other people around the nation. Wow. Um, he was a very influential um, figure in Brisbane and all over Australia as well. Um, uh, back in the 70s, he was um, the Australian Aboriginal version of Black Panthers. Yes. Him and Uncle Dennis Walker. So we, we, we grew up, my children grew up in that, in that movement, watching their grandfather work through the community over a decade or so. And um, I was privileged to be around him as well. And so out of, out of that was our um, passion to want to tell those stories on behalf of the families and, and try and create something that's structured so that it's coming from grassroots and not having to be dictated or um, duplicated on, on a state level, um, you know, keep it grassroots. And that's why we've done what we've done. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it, to have that autonomy, sure have that control? 
Yeah, because, you know, we, we grew up in a generation of that's how we dealt with our business. We dealt with it on a grassroots level. We sat there for weeks and months and years and talked about these issues, you know, and um, and, and sadly these days they just want a quick fix, you know, and we can't do that because these, these issues that we're dealing with, they're not just one generation, they're many generations of trauma that we, our people have had to go through. Yeah. Yeah, it's reading, even just reading through this latest edition, where there's That's re- right. reports and stories around at least. I mean, know, we, we've had two deaths in the last fortnight. That's right. You know, we, we just found the young fella down at Maury, mm. and, um, you know, that, that that's traumatising. I mean, I would have loved to have captured that story and told it directly from the mother or the family members that went down there and looked for that boy. Yeah. You know, we, we, we made contact with them. They they reached out for help. Um, and, and that's the sad thing about it is that, you know, what we do is we we source donations to keep doing what we do and we, we do this wholeheartedly. Can you can you tell us about the um the website which has just been developed? Yeah, the website was an eighteen month project to make sure that um you know, we keep it as real and grassroots as possible and we want to, you know, take ownership of our own autonomy by not having to ask the government for fundings and stuff like that. And um, the best way we thought that we could, you know, produce something is to create our own merchandise so that people feel like they're buying into something that's real and um, that's grassroots, you know, and that they know the money is going to go back to the people and the families that we work with. Yeah, it's great. I love seeing those T-shirts. And, you know, even as mob walking in the streets and you see those T-shirts yeah. printed, whether it's the flag or whether it's a small message, you know, it's, uh, That's right. it's a way of really feeling proud and being reminded, you know, that, like yeah. you said, we're still, we're still doing this thing where we're hearing this news and we're being, you know triggered and traumatized by these stories over and over and over again. So I think yeah. it's so important what you're doing and what your family's doing and the legacy that your that your family uh, has built um, yeah. in regards to justice and equality and, and, you know, being heard. Yeah. And then, you know what, as, as much as we try not to keep the focus on what we do with our work, we still try and keep that on the families because that's who we work for. That's who we're trying to represent and that's who we're trying to tell the stories of, you know, and, and we're trying to keep it as real as possible. Mm. And yeah. Regina, we're, speaking of family, whereabouts, where are you from? Well, I'm a Jaguar woman. Um, I'm a Bonner from Brisbane. On my grandfather's side, my grandfather was the late Senator Neville Bonner. So mm. I grew up in a political family on that side, and on my father's side, I'm a more um, I'm a Bundjalung um, woman from the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. Incredible. My family's from Cabristry Island, and I'm a Gisborne woman as well, which is a part of the Bundjalung Nation. Yeah. And so, could the uh, the website? It's I just love this idea that you're campaigning and you're corralling and, and getting support through this little business and it's the it's the t-shirts right you're selling the t-shirts online can that's you, right can you tell us a little bit about i guess the designs of the shirts and how we can get get these well, shirts online it, yep um our website stop like this in custody australia and 
On the website, you'll find our campaign of who we've represented over the years, and you'll also find our shop, which is um, which sells our merchandise to keep us um, continuing to do what we do. And you'll find some beautiful T-shirts there um, with different slogans. Um, our land is where we stand and too black, too strong. Um, we've also got children's T-shirts on there as well. Um, so, so those T-shirts that get sold, the money goes directly back into what we do at Stop Black Deaths in Custody, and that's helping our families that come to us. The Two Black, Two Strong T-shirts were designed in 1996, and that was around about the time Paul and Hanson came into politics. And as you know, my family coming from Ipswich, she was an Ipswich candidate. So we were like, no, you can't, can't speak to our people uh, about us like this. And so we created a T-shirt that just because the young people at that point in time, there was a lot of them going in and out of the system. And um, we created a T-shirt, Too Black, Too Strong, to try and empower our young people. Hey, we're too black and we're proud of our culture and we're too strong to, you know, stop continuing to use drugs. So, mm. um, you know, we're just creating those T-shirts. We formed touch football teams and we just kept that selling the T-shirts in the communities at community events and stuff and um, using that money to, you know, play touch football, put the kids in the teams and, and try and keep them off the streets and do day trips and stuff like that. Yeah, great. So the money goes back into the community, whether it's That's events right. or campaigning. So, Regina, it's not just about selling T-shirts. The website also features the stories of the of the yes. people who've passed on and the families. Yeah, that's right. And um and we don't just highlight our own campaigns, we highlight as many as we, as we can because like what we do, we all work in unison state by state and community by community. Our grassroots are very in sync with what happens and and we have um representatives from each state that, that filters that information. It's a wonderful job you're doing, that's that's for sure. Yeah, thank you. Now, and we love what we do. Uh, you you mentioned before we went on air that uh, you're actually at TAFE today. Yes, I'm at TAFE today. <laughs> so what what's the uh, digital media? Yep, digital media. I want to be able to um, tell the stories of the families that we work with and be able to capture that. And, and capture the rawness of those stories and be able to tell them unscripted and unedited. I've got my son doing the course with me as well. Oh, that's cool. So we're working as a team because we want to get these stories out. Mm. Now, the website the website was actually came about because your daughter and your son wanted to have something to pay tribute to Sam Watson. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Poppy Sam, they call him. Yep. Um, his, his second year anniversary is coming up in November. Mm. So um, the kids really miss him because, you know, on the 26th of January, that's the time we leave New South Wales for Queensland for Invasion Day marches. And the kids really miss their fa- a grandfather being in that forefront. Well, I'm sure he'd be very proud of the work that they're doing, continuing uh, yeah, his legacy. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Regina, and thanks, Darren, for connecting us with Regina. That's a pleasure. Yeah, look forward to hearing more about 
the wonderful work you're doing in the community and with your family, Regina. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. The Kurumal newspaper is the voice of Indigenous Australia. 100% Aboriginal owned and operated. To subscribe, visit kurumal.com. Welcome back. Our next guest is one of the creatives of Marageku Dance Company. They're celebrating 25 years since their first show this month. Welcome to the Black Room, Dahlia Pigram. Hi, Dahlia. Hi there, Kirk. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. I'm, I'm calling in from uh, Broome in Rubibi on Yaru country, um, where I was born and bred. So I'm very happy to be with you today. So Dahlia, I have known you for a while and I wanted to start with, um, I remember going to a show, I think it was Mimi in Sydney. Yeah. I think it was, uh, 1990 something. <laughs> <laughs> was it at Centennial Park? Or? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was 98 or 97. Because I was pregnant with my first baby. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I remember seeing the show and just being totally overwhelmed. And really, it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, I guess, how the company sort of came together and what it was like doing that show? Yeah, well, Marigeku has a big story. So, and my involvement with it... Um, starts almost at the beginning but um it it started it starts with uh michael leslie um a kind of uh quite significant um uh indigenous dance artist who's been a founder for many um dance platforms in australia yes um and he at the time of my study he actually facilitated the um the kind of bridging course that i was doing in Perth, studying for the year away from Broome. Um, uh, my one formal year of, of training in um, Aboriginal Musical Theatre, which is now uh, accredited by, uh, well, at the time was accredited by Edith Cowan or WAPA. Yes. Um, Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. So, um, yeah, Michael was my dance teacher and, and mentor and, um, you know, teacher not just of dance but kind of giving us the the inspiration to go out into the world and make a difference um and he was quite good at um giving those kind that the kind of inspiration you needed to feel that you could actually achieve things that you put your mind to yeah um so at the end of that year he he was he conceived the idea of making a show about the Mimi spirits. Ah. Um, and I think the idea itself had been cooking for a while, I've later learned. But um, he saw Stalker Theatre Company, which you would be familiar with, yes. um, performing at uh, Perth Festival. And, um, and of course, the long elongated um, form that they had with the, with the stilts um, looked like it would be a great way to um, depict the Mimi spirits from Arnhem Land that he knew of. Um, so he'd thought of that idea and, um, through a conversation with, um, uh, Perth Festival and, and Stalker Theatre Company, he, 
he introduced himself and um, and began a collaboration try, uh, with Stalker to um, find the right artist to to make a show. Yeah. Um, so Marigeku was born out of the project Mimi, um, which which uh, was uh, conceived by Michael Leslie. So, um, yeah, that was way back before I was involved. And then um, when they were gathering the team of people that would be making the piece, Michael uh, uh, approached me towards the end of my study year and said, would you be interested in having a go on stilts uh. and um, along with people like Stephen Oliver. Yes, I was going uh, to say that there was like a big stable of really incredible artists that are still doing great things today, people like Stephen Oliver. Yeah, yeah, Tanya Mead. um, And, uh, well, later on we got to work with, um, you know, more and more people, but um, Trevor Jamison came on for the second piece that we made with that um, community. Yes. Uh, But for Mimi itself um, began the kind of process of working in, in an intercultural um, way with kind of multidisciplinary artists, um, people from remote urban and small towns, um, from non-Indigenous and Indigenous backgrounds, like all of that was a gathering of like over 20 people um, trying to tell a story together was, um, you know, quite challenging. Um, but also there was so much being learnt on, on the daily yeah, um, and through, I, through I the process of making, you know. Yes, and I wanted to just, I'm glad you mentioned um this, uh, the intercultural aspect of the company, because I often, I don't know, can you describe what intercultural means just for yeah. some of us who might it's, not know that term? Yeah, I guess intercultural is, um, when we think about the meanings of, of, of those terms, we tend to feel like what we do is intercultural, um, yeah. culture, uh, cultural groups that are working uh, with one another to, you know, towards a common goal, but not um, putting two things together, if you know what I mean. So not yeah. kind of staying within your cultural boundaries, yeah. but actually trying to knowledge transfer across. Um, yeah, so mm. um, whereas cross-cultural, we, we don't tend to use that term because that has other connotations and, and mm. um and things look different (laughs) to us that it feels different when it's um, spoken about in that way. But, and then trans indigenous would be that thing of, um, you know, other indigenous people learning from one another too. Like it's, it, we were born out of that. Yes. Like the the company started like that and continues to be like that because, you know, we didn't, it just, just wasn't just black and white. It was, you know, very remote, um, community community members that still held story and dance and song for their people and then uh, urban Indigenous people who may, may not have known their languages and um, stories and then small towns like myself who have, you know, coming from a place like Broome where um, it's a multicultural town with all kinds of different cultures living together for generations. Totally um, intercultural, a- hey? Yeah, has such a such a, such another kind of history. So yes. being exempt from that wider stranger policy <laughs> because of the pearling industry, you know. So it's like um, the process that we stumbled upon in a way was effectively like what you could imagine reconciliation is in action. You know, like the the learning, like going through the challenging things of 
living together, working together, trying to tell a story and negotiating the ways of doing that together, um, but also valuing everyone's voice equally and, and together. So mm. and that's, that's I think, kind of what Marageku is born out of. Yeah, and it's such a wonderful uh, kind of base and foundation, I think, you know, coming together. And like you mentioned earlier, that we, everyone's learning from one another whether it's the first time, you know, they've come in contact with people from, you know, remote communities or the first time remote community artists and performers have come to a festival or a city. So that's one of the yeah. really exciting things about what the company does. I wanted to ask you about the book. It's called Telling That Story. Yeah. And it's, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we might find in that book? Oh, it's a big story, that um, that book. Um, it was kind of our COVID project for the last couple of years. It ah. <laughs> T- took a while to tell that story. <laughs> um, and and there's a term that old man Thompson Nielajiri, which who, who was um, you know, one of the most instrumental elders that we um, had the privilege to work with um, after Michael had kind of brought a team of people together um, that, Represented representations from Stalker Theatre, um, and um, you know people like myself who had just graduated, um, as well as artists like Annie Larae Coffin who who had just come out of um, um, music training school. Yes. Um, at music and stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, Thompson Yilladry used to kind of use that term. We're going to be telling that story, you know, like the yes. way that we tell stories. Um, can be different and 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 that starting point of trying to find um the form and the and the language and the and the um aesthetic that that would tell the story properly mm. um kind of inspired us to name the book in that way right Rachel's um uh, instinct was to go with that something that the old people would say <laughs> yeah it's a great title. um yeah and yeah in the book i mean it's it's both you know you have it's a great it's almost like a family uh, photo album in one sense because it's got, um, you know, so many images um, over the years of the amazing photographers that have captured um, moments across all of our works. Um, each chapter is packed with those. They're, they're structured kind of um, uh, from beginning to the end, um, like kind of chronological order of, of the projects that we've um, had the privilege to work on, starting from the days in Gunbalanya, Arnhem Land there, with um, old people like old Thompson. The book focuses on our early years in Gunbalanya, um, also known as Owen Pelly there in, in um, Arnhem Land, up, up with the Rocky Country. Yeah. Um, and we worked closely with the Gunwinkel people for over eight years to make two large-scale works, Mimi and Crying Baby. Yes. So there's a chapter on... Um, both of those works, yeah, uh, yeah. and then <clears throat> we go on to look at the that trans- transformation time where we relocated to Broome, um, not particularly because we thought the company was going to go on for years and years, but just out of the questions that we were left with after making work together and going, wow, we need to answer these questions like on a national scale about the you know where our country is and how far behind it is in in some ways of thinking about indigenous knowledge systems and 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 
you know, um, acknowledging um, our perspectives and, and ways of storytelling. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, after that time relocating to Broome, it then goes on to look at each of the works developed and made and produced here, um, drawn out of this part of the country. Um, but it also has chapters that focus um, on the intercultural nature of the music and um, our um, our international indigenous um, choreographic laboratories. Um, and then we have uh, um, some amazing collab. Uh, sorry, co- contributors who have um, written essays or reflections on seeing the work and and more scholarly kind of um, academic look at at um, at dance and 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 what Marageku have offered to the sector and and the world and you know mm. on that level. So yeah. yeah, we've got like Vicky Van Hoot speaking about burning, seeing burning daylight. We've got um, John Mundine speaking about those early days um, in Arnhem Land and and, um, and crying baby in particular. The story. Yeah. Um, we've got um, Jacqueline Lowe speaking about burning daylight as well. Um, Jonathan Marshall, who um, who's, who looks at Boruka um, Yalida, our triple bill, with our um, associate artists that um, develop uh, three amazing um, solo works. Uh, yeah, and it goes on. <laughs> yeah, it must was it, it must be like a bit of a time capsule for you all. And looking back on all of those productions and those times together, creating and performing i'm really looking forward yeah. to having a look actually i need to get it i need to buy it <laughs> yeah it's kind of that combination of um family photo album in a way but mm. also like um offers a real good look at what the work has offered um on a larger scale you know like what what it is that is special about what what we've managed to achieve over the, over the years yeah. um and i think it really does all stem from those foundational moments um, of becoming a company, um, those early days in Arnhem Land, and 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 really the, the sitting in the dirt and the inner circle, nutting out the challenges and and not giving up, not just walking away because it's too hard. These mob don't understand, mm. but thinking, nah, we've got to stick at this and keep keep going. And I think out of that, we've managed to find some really new ways and forms of storytelling that car- does really carry our um, cultural knowledge forward. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it was definitely a trip down memory lane. I um, just I remember, you know, months of just searching uh, photo albums and um, trying to contact people, um, get in touch with people that we, you know, um, haven't had contact with for, for a long time. Um, returning back to Gunbalanya and and checking on um, the three dancers that uh, were were the um, main Gunwinku um, part of the the show's Mimi and Crying Baby, but knowing full well that it's going to be heartbreaking to return to a place where the elders that we worked with mm. were no longer there. Mm. Um, and yeah, coming to terms with all of that, it's it, it was. Um, yeah, a big few years to, to get it done. I bet. And it makes me think about, you mentioned, you know, just sort of sticking in there and really learning about new ways of working perhaps and different approaches to making 
theater or dance or performance, um, it makes me think how powerful and important all of that work is. And, you know, such an incredible commitment that the company, you know, has, 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 has done between you and Rachel, um, and the other performers and the beautiful other people that are connected with those. Yeah. That's the other thing with Marageku. It's such a, such a big story and it involves such a huge family of people, you know, like, um, people like Matthew Farga and Larae Coffin, who are both, uh, who we would regard as founding members because we call yes. the founding members, uh, you know, that whole group of 20-odd people that um, toured around Arnhem Land and, you know, with Mimi and and Crying Baby and things like that to that um, really re- recognise that we have the power to be a company, you know, yeah. to actually continue and keep searching together. Yep, um, incredible. And, yeah. It's, it's epic. Totally epic. It just makes me, you know, think about it it is something to create a show, but then it's another thing to, you know, nurture those relationships, build those relationships. You know, you're not just doing one thing called making a show. You're you're doing, like you said, it becomes family or it becomes, you know, like a a responsibility in a way in bringing those cultural stories and yeah. uh, performers together like that. It's incredible. Yeah. We we often kind of talk about the shows as being, you know, a bit like that tip tip of the iceberg thing, mm. you know, that the show is just the tip, but but all the kind of the process that's undergone to, to bring particular groups of people together who may never have kind of been in a room together um, to make a show together um, in any other circumstances is phenomenal. Sometimes you'd look around and you think, wow, such and such comes from Fitzroy Crossing. Someone's from West Africa. There's someone over there who, you know, comes from Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide. And then we've got, you know, um, mob from Broome and, you know, people just filling the space um, and all responding with what they have within their bodies and their stories and, and, and their knowledge. Um, both movement wise, but, but also their lived experience. So, Mm. um, I think our process really exposes and, and then the aesthetic, I suppose, really exposes the process. So it's like, um, yeah, that's quite a collaborative one in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's not for the faint hearted. It takes, um, it takes discipline, but it also takes, um, openness and flexibility in, in some ways because, I think dance and performing arts can can be rigid if you're thinking in this is what it looks like and that's what's yes, expected form or aesthetic um, or style or yeah yeah or what you what you've studied standards uh, I think, <laughs> yeah standards and you know like industry and sector and all of that stuff but we if 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 you put all that aside and, and you do treat it like family like you actually listening to people's stories and caring for, for that story. Mm. And yeah, and it's not just how's the best way to illustrate that story through dance form, but take on all the, the political, the emotional, the, you know, everything that, that comes together the whole... with the co- concept that you're looking at. Yeah. The ecology as, in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And together you're kind of, you're doing that together. So it stays with you. It, it lives with you. And that's kind of how you end up becoming family. It's not so much just because you're 
um, you, you've made a show together, but you've been in a process that's asked the same things of each and every one of you, you know? Yeah. Incredible. Well, it's been great to chat with you. You too. Yeah. And so look out for this, uh, telling that story and the stage production, Jurungu Nganga. Yes. Jurungu yes. Nganga. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. thank you for spending the time with us today in the Black Room. Thank you for having me. Want to listen up to daily new tracks from First Nations artists? Or live stream one of 27 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander radio stations from across the country? Then check out Indigitude, a digital meeting place for our songs, dance, language and law from the desert to the sea. Download the Indigitube app today and explore the national media platform by and for First Nations people preserving language and culture for future generations. Standing strong in my culture. Keeping culture alive, standing strong in my culture. Our last guest today, last but not least, is our Doctor of Sport, Darren Moncrief. Calling in from the valleys and the gullies of the Northern Rivers region, thanks for dialing in, Darren. Happy to be here again. There's a really great headline on the back page of this edition, Darren, and it says, it's super disappointing. This is a story about women's netball. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we talked to a former Super Netball player um, regarding the, um, the basically the sign-on period has just concluded. Okay. That is, the eight Super Netball teams have just completed their rosters for the new season next year, right? And amongst the eight hundred, uh, sorry, amongst the eighty players across Super Netball, next year is going to be only one Aboriginal player, and to me, that's not good enough because um, netball's had like a good leading time, a good representation. Um, talking about it for the past year and a bit about you know we can be better, um, but it just hasn't translated into basically representation in the court. So wow, and so in yeah, the, it's, in the past yep. has there been a lot of uh, numbers, like lots of mob in uh, the teams. Historically, netball isn't as largely represented amongst the people as, say, basketball is. But that's not. But in the last, say, twenty odd years, um, at grassroots community level, um, netball clubs are huge. So, just as an example, in across Victoria and South Australia, they they combine their football and netball clubs under the one umbrella. So you might have a, for example, Rumbalara Football Netball Club. And that's the two sports they play, okay? So, and that's replicated across across a lot of Victorian South Australia. Obviously, um, and Aboriginal clubs are part of that scene. Um, and, yeah, about 20, uh, 30 years ago, we had a first Aboriginal diamond, and that was Marsha Ella. Mm. Um, 10 years after that, we had Sharon Simmons um, play as well, and she won the World Cup. But other than that, not. They're the only two um, um, black diamonds, really, to represent Australia in Nepal. And literally, you could count on one hand the Aboriginal netballers who have played at the top level in this country. And so, when you're talking about um, the, the, you know, having some of our, you know, sisters in these netball clubs, are you saying that there's there's none that are being chosen for like competition level 
like state level or was like national level? A bit of a bit a bit from column A and a bit from column B there, correct? Okay. Um, it is that we are we are there, but just not in mass numbers like we are in in other sports, mm. and which also means so the space isn't entirely conducive to the Aboriginal girls playing at ball. That's, that's a fact. That yeah. is just simple, a simple fact. There, having said that, there are there was a netball, a younger girl, younger woman netballer who, who literally moved half across the world to to play at the elite level and she played in the English Super League and she dominated that comp. She comes back home and like and I spoke to her a few weeks ago um, and hoping to pick up a contract back home in Australia and she was overlooked. So the other complication, the other thing that sort of does it for netball is that there's no limit to international imports, okay, in super netball. So that means club, clubs will go, okay, we need a goal shooter, we need a wing defence. Um, they'll look around Australia, oh, not much here, oh, this one from New Zealand, or this one from South Africa, or this one from England. That, they'll fill the spot, you know, without looking in their own backyard and beyond, oh, beyond that. Oh, so they can okay. import players. So there's no caps. Yeah, there's no caps on the amount of imports a team can have. And that that too. So it's like a, it's like a perfect storm that conspires against um, seeing our sisters able to rise to the top. Oh, so there's also some coverage on... Indigenous women representation in the cricket. Hannah Darlington. Oh, mate, this is such good news. Hannah is a rising star in, in, in women's cricket in this country. So the other day she was appointed captain of Sydney Thunder, the, the women's big bash league team. Okay, so of all the seven teams, she, she, she's the actual youngest. She's 19 years old. She's the youngest ever person to, to captain a big bash League side, and that, and that's on merit too. Um, the, the actually the existing captain, cap, uh, captain actually is pregnant, so she can't play. So, so they've obviously looked at their roster and go, who among this group is going to that we want to represent us and is capable to step up, has a good game, is all round game, and is a capable leader. And they saw Hannah Darlington, nineteen year old Aboriginal girl, and she she's the captain of Sydney Thunder. Such a great story. And, and we can just, just, yeah, just the other, just recently she also made an international debut in the multi-format series, Australia in the multi-format series against India. Okay. That was on the Gold Coast. Yeah, so, yeah, she's, she's really, she's right there at the forefront, mate, of, of, of Indigenous cricket, and we're so proud of her. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Thank you, Darren, for joining us. Yep, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Black Room. And don't forget to get the latest edition of the Courier Mail, number 762, at your good news agents, or online at couriermail.com. Boogle Bear. Well, there's one black brother dead in the robe on jail. One black martyr crucified and the cops drove in the nails. 200 years custody, we're not allowed no bail. How do you face the mornings when it's injustice still prevails? I say, show me the justice to be had here in this land. Show us blacks the justice for every black human being. Show us blacks the justice 
this white democracy when you can execute us without a trial while we're held in custody. Make sure you hit subscribe on your screen to stay up to date with the latest Black Room podcast. You can find links to our socials and other Kurimao podcasts in the show description. Well, there's one black brother gunned down outside the Maury town. The communities across this land we mourned as they laid him down. Two hundred years of being forced to stand back outside the door. Well, the system treats the symptoms. It never attacks the cause, I say. Show me the justice to be had here in this land. Show us blacks the justice for every black human being. Show us blacks the justice in this white democracy When you can execute us without a trial while we're held in custody Thank you.